Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of the Roundball Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. If you've been listening to the show the last couple of days, you've already had our Sports Ethos panel preview. Different guests from across the network came in, and I was happy one of those to give our takes on the on the playoffs. And then I also had a more specific first-round matchup preview episode with Ron Guterman. Check that out. This dropped uh, by the time you listened to this yesterday. But we got another one. We got a little bonus one for you, and I'm really excited about this. Um, good friend of the show, Super Kings fan, and we're talking Kings. Kings versus Warriors. First round, Eric is on the show. You can follow him on Twitter. Please do, at EricBball3. Guy's a Kings fan with good taste. Uh, in terms of hoops and solid takes. And I think we'll get some of that here. But before we even get started with all that, Eric, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, Kings are in the playoffs starting. We're recording, what, Friday night. Uh, Kings going to be in game one tomorrow. It's been a long time coming. It's been, you know, 17 years. And you're, you're hearing about how all these playoff tickets are going for pretty much your firstborn child. So, I mean, the entire city is ready. They have a little play, playoff pavilion downtown in the little – uh, around the arena the city is ready i'm ready can't can't wait there we go it's like bringing it on let's let's make that happen i'm excited for it for sure um and i think that the kings this is a fun one i mean i've known you for a couple of years now we've seen the kings been you know they've been pretty bad right like yeah. it's been it's been almost two decades of just real bad play for the most part but they're back. They've had a change in their identity. I think it started with the hiring of Coach Mike Brown. So we saw that. Um, we see um, the fact that I mean, first they signed one of my one of my favorite players, and this is of course you know uh, Malik Monk from the Lakers. I was really upset about that, but I thought he'd be a good addition. Make the trade for Kevin Herter. You're already building off of you know Demontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. You have pieces that fit now. An offense that's electric. A defense that. Isn't really there, but these kings have rolled off like light the beam, which is so fun to say. Like I, I beam when I say it. Like that's fun, and they lit the beam forty-eight times this season. Third best record in the West, um, best team in the Pacific Division. Just a really solid year for them. Like this is a, a season. I think you. I think of my friend Jillian. I think of Damian. Like so many people I know on Twitter, they're Kings fans that deserve this, and I'm very happy for them. But let's start it with you because it isn't about me. Before we even get into the playoff series, what has your, been your take on this season? Because I had you on, funnily enough, around the time the season started. And to see this happen now, it, it has to be so, so cool. Yeah, it's been a great experience. Um, even going back to last year, a lot of people were making fun of the DeMontis Sabonis trade. Um, people were saying, what are the Kings doing? This malpractice. Uh, J.J. Redick has gone on the record to apologize to King fans because we are letting him know that, yeah, he, that trade was not malpractice, sir, you know, and he's been he's been cool enough to walk back that statement. But it all started last year at the trade deadline. Um, heart still hurts a little bit thinking about how Tyrese Halliburton isn't on the Kings anymore, but he's being successful. And, you know, you got to let you got to enjoy the moment as it comes, because as Kings fans, we don't really know when the ride is going to end. We're just going to enjoy it as long as we can. Unfortunately, that that is true. I think in this case, there's some hope for optimism, a solid foundation. Um, but then again, you know, we've had hope before, right? We've had hope before, and, and that is something that I mean, not we Kings fans had hope before. We as a Laker fans, I mean, not got to compare the two, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, that, that 
<laughs> that is something that that I'm sure you know. If you're, let's just say it's this way: if you are a fan of a franchise, a loyal fan as you have been, that has maybe experienced more ups and downs than the average franchise, then there have been times, of course, where you are in lulls. You know, I, I think from the Lakers, you know, between 2015 and 2019 was bad. Now, granted, four years and 16 years, we don't light a candle to the depths that you've been in. But at the same time, the highs of this is so cool because the Lakers are like, okay, at some point we're expected to have a big fish come in. Or, or now you win a championship, is the bubble championship. And LeBron chose to come to LA because of the, the sun. You know, with this Kings team, people that either signed there or were traded there that worked together, that built the culture, and now you have this winning mentality. And here you are in the playoffs. So let's, let's get right into that. Three seed, Sacramento Kings. First game at home, by the time people are listening today, the Warriors, six seed. They've had up and down season, injuries up and down, you know, dysfunction from the offseason with, you know, Jordan Poole and Draymond Green punching him for very little reason. They seemingly can't win a game outside of the Chase Center. They come into town facing off against your Kings. Uh, I think the series, the Warriors won three to one, um, but all three games, most of them were close. Out of the four games, mo- only one wasn't close. Um, with the Kings getting one win and the other being a really controversial um, foul call on Kevin Herter, uh, foul call on foul not called on Clay Thompson on Kevin Herter that would have potentially sent the game to overtime or a win for the Kings. So a lot there, not a whole lot to dig into for the regular season matchup. So I'm just throwing to you, what are you looking at between these two teams and this playoff matchup? Let's get your takes on how these squads size up in your opinion. To add a little bit more context, what you were talking about, yeah, they um, they've had four games this year, like you said. Um, Kings lost one game or lost three games and won one. Um, the important thing, really, to remember is that last game that was in uh, April, I believe, um, was just pretty much a garbage time game. I mean, um, Sabonis didn't play, I don't believe. Fox didn't play, so they pretty much just threw out the, the second unit and said, "Hey, Harrison Barnes, you can keep your active streak going because he's played every game this year." So threw him in there. And so that game really didn't matter. But the two really big ones were the November games. There was also an additional October game that happened. Uh, Kings lost um, by five points. But that was within our first four games of the year. We started on that little 0-4 trip or 0-4 start. And uh, to give you an idea how far back that was, Keegan Murray wasn't in the starting lineup. Uh, KZ Akpala was. Wow. To give even, to give even more context, the Sacramento Kings had not yet lit the beam. That's how our season started. We started wow. We had not even lit the beam yet as of that time of that game. So that kind of gives you some context to how long ago that was. The The two games in November were really the ones that kind of showed how the teams were going to match up. Uh, looking back at that game, for example, we have uh, the controversial Kevin Herter fouled by Clay Thompson game. Uh, the Kings pretty much played their traditional – lineup that we can expect to see in the playoffs. Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, Sabonis, Herder, and Fox starting with Mitchell, Monk, Lyles, Metu, and then Terrence Davis off the bench. Uh, TD may not get minutes. He may have to um, play behind Kessler Edwards. It kind of all depends on what the coaching staff sees. He has been awesome offensively. He has some great defensive moments, unfortunately. TD also hasn't been having some great defensive moments, but Kessler Edwards, uh, kind of the opposite. He has some good offensive moments, but most of his uh, – most of his star shines on defense. So those players, that that's kind of what I'm expecting the rotation to look like. Uh, for the Warriors in that game, um, they did have their traditional starting five, Wiggins, Green, Looney, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, um, with Jordan Poole, Kaminga coming off the bench. Um, 
I don't think Dante DiVincenzo was getting quite the minutes that um, he was at the at the end of the year when you know uh, Steph Curry was out or Andrew Wiggins was out. So I think Dante DiVincenzo is going to be really big coming in mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Um, if you look at the game that was hold on one second, what game was that? I think it was November fourteenth. Um, that was actually a Kings win. That was a seven point win for the Kings. Um, the Warriors pretty much played their playoff rotation. Wiggins, Green, Looney, Thompson, Curry, Poole, Kaminga, DiVincenzo, and then Anthony Lamb. I don't know if Anthony Lamb's going to get any minutes. but I was about to say, me. yeah. But still to take it in context, right? Yeah. So those were the nine that played, and that was a seven-point win for the Kings. Then um, Kings played their traditional 10-man rotation, the same one we had just listed with TD getting minutes. Um, and so pretty much those November games, it was – Pretty close. You know, you have a seven point win for the Kings. You have a three point win for the Warriors on a controversial call. Kings won on their home floor. The Warriors won on their home floor both times uh, early in the season. And then that game in November, my kind of lukewarm take, not really that hot, is that is that the Kings and the Warriors are each going to take one game on the road. You know, everyone talks about how the Warriors have had the worst road record pretty much in the NBA this year, um, or at least for a playoff team. You know, yeah, for, for exactly. context for people who Plus don't know, finals contending. Yeah, the Warriors are 11 and 30 on the road. So that kind of gives some context. The funnily enough, the Sacramento Kings are one of only two teams in the NBA that actually had a better record on or had more wins at on away games than home games. Mm. So the Kings went 23 and 18 at home, but they went 25 and 16 on the road uh, for. For some context, the only other team was the New York Knicks, who went 23 and 18 at home and 24 and 17 on the road. So the Kings are a very good road team. It may not really seem like it because it's like, oh, they're just they're a little bit better than they did at home. But pretty much, I think that there's a very real chance that the Kings could even take two games on the road and the Warriors could take two games on the road. You, you never know. Like, yeah, we'll get into my predictions later, but. As of right now, I don't think the home team's going to – it's not going to be a guarantee that the home team wins every game. You know, like the saying That's goes, fair. series doesn't start until the road team wins home one. road so team wins. You it, said it. It may start, may start quickly, unfortunately, for us, but then, you know, it might just swing back the other way. So, Yeah. I, it sounds – and, again, we're going to get to predictions here in a bit, but it sounds like you're anticipating a longer series, which I'm very, I'm very uh, intrigued by for sure. Um, I, I tend to kind of share some of that um, – optimism there some of that 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 thought process but looking at obviously the Warriors, kind of a little bit of a breakdown of of the two so far what strengths do you think the kings have that will be whether you want to say difficult for the warriors to contend with or more of a a clear advantage outright for sacramento um like what strengths do you think that you bring to the table that listen you know we got this like at the end of the day De'Aaron fox is going to get to the to the lane at will at the end of the day, you know, our off ball and screen actions are going to make sure that we get our shooters hot. And that's going to be a factor. Like what type of um, weapons do you think you bring at your disposal that you know for a fact, listen, it's going to be a problem for going to take to match up with this. Yeah. To, to kind of rephrase your question. I think that there are a mm-hmm. couple swing factors that I would say. For yeah, one, I like that. yeah. Golden state warriors, three point shooting is going to be huge. Sacramento Kings are also a team that shoots lots of threes. Uh, Mike Brown has said that he likes pay touches into open threes. Um, so it's going to be a shootout. There's going to be a lot of shooting. Um, I would say the real categories that I think are going to swing for this, the Kings positive direction, depending on how things go, um, free throw rate and turnovers. 
things of that nature. Um, if the Warriors are going to turn the ball over and the Kings can take advantage of that, that's really going to benefit the Kings. And then another thing is that um, the Sacramento Kings are attempting more uh, free throws than the Warriors by a, a pretty sizable margin. Um, for example, I'm using some numbers from the post All-Star Correction post all-star break section of NBA.com. Sacramento Kings attempted the third most uh, free throws in the NBA post all-star break. Golden State Warriors, if you scroll down, way down, they're 26, <laughs> you know. So the, the amount of free throws attempted is really pretty, could be a sizable X factor. It also depends on the refs. We won't discuss Sacramento Kings feelings on refs because that also goes back two decades, but <laughs> moving on. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. I mean, back to those perfectly legal uh, Lakers-Kings matchups, the Lakers won fair and square without any refs involved at all. I will continue to stand by that. But I understand. <laughs> I understand why, why Kings fans might feel differently. I can respect that. But, uh, but yeah, we don't, we don't have to go into that. No, let's, no, no need to raise hard feelings now. Yeah. So to, to give an example, um, some stats from basketball reference, the warrior that attempted that has the highest free throw rate, um, other than Lester Quinones, who has four games played, was Kevon Looney. He's about point uh, about forty point four percent, meaning he shoots a free throw pretty much forty percent of the time. He shoots a field goal. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have Harrison Barnes shooting point fifty two point two percent and uh, Sabonis forty six point seven percent, meaning that. Pretty much Harrison Barnes is shooting a free throw for every two field goal attempts he gets. So that kind of tells you how the Kings get their offense from, they get it from threes, they get it from paint touches like Fox to Sabonis, and they get it from the line with guys like Harrison Barnes, Sabonis, Fox. Whereas the Warriors are more of that three-point shooting team. They shoot a lot of jump shots. I know officiating has kind of been an issue for a lot of teams this year. There's been a I feel like there's been more complaints about the officiating, not only from yep. fans, but also from teams this year for free throw discrepancy. Yep. So my my second medium take is that you're going to see both sides complain about the referees a lot. Sacramento oh, wow. Kings may Sacramento Kings may feel or Sacramento Kings fans may feel like they're getting hit a lot because it's playoff physicality and there are probably going to be a good amount of Kings fans that haven't been watching the playoffs super closely for years. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like they, yeah. I'm not going to say that they're uneducated Kings fans, but there oh, just no, may no. be some fans that were not paying as close attention or didn't have a stake. Yeah. And you'll see a lot of fans adamantly complain, not to mention, you know, Kings haven't been known to get the best whistle and you're going to see true. probably these, you're going to see the same thing from Warrior fans because, Hey, Steph Curry is an MVP. How come he doesn't get foul calls? Well, Steph I mean, Curry typically shoots three pointers. Exactly. I, I, it's going to be funny to read the, the NBA just wants the Kings to win. I think it's yes. going to be funny to see those takes. <laughs> I, I will find those hilarious. Yes. Um, the, the team that, you know, 90% of NBA media fans, talking heads has picked a team to move on is definitely not the favorite team. The team that, you know, everyone calls a poverty franchise is definitely the one king, or the league wants to win. Exactly. No, you said it. Exactly. Which is funny. And, you know, it's also a, a good point about the referee because, like, you said that just now, immediately as a Laker fan, I'm like, yeah, we had a game against the Mavericks, you know, Christian Wood. Totally fouled LeBron. We didn't get a call. We had a game against the Celtics. Jason Tatum fouled LeBron, no call. We had a game against the 76ers where Joel Embiid wrapped his his hand around Russell Westbrook, no call. Like 
off the top of my head, these are like boom, boom, boom. So you know this Kings fans, that's the thing as well. And that's the thing across the NBA in general. Some of it overblown. Some of it I think there's some real merit there. And, I, you know, I, I definitely don't think it's – I think it's important to parse out, you know, what is legit and what isn't. But I agree. Like, whether it is a combination of the Kings playing playoff basketball and seeing the difference there, whether it is, you know, the fact the Warriors get a friendly whistle and after Draymond gets a tech, there's just an unwritten NBA rule that he can no longer receive another tech for the remainder of the game, no matter how much he yells, where Darren Fox could probably get one. And you probably see two out for someone like a Terrence Davis. You know, I'm just throwing out names here. So definitely see that. Um, but I get you. I think that's going to be an adjustment for sure. But the quicker they do adjust, I think it'll obviously be beneficial for the Kings in order to just understand the way the game will be called. Hopefully there is some sense of um, some semblance of consistency there. I think that's important. Um, but aside from that, turning the table in the other direction as a Kings fan, what are you more worried about from the Warriors? Because I think the immediate one I think of is one Stephen Wardell Curry. Yeah, I, I would say that's primary concern a I'd say that, you know, the three-point shooting, as discussed already, if you have Clay Thompson getting hot, Steph Curry getting hot, uh, Jordan Poole getting hot, any of those guys can go off for 30 pretty easily. And the Kings, yes, we've had guys who have had some uh, scoring explosions, like Malik Monk scored 45 against the Clippers during the year. You know, Kevin Hurry's gone off for 30. Like, those guys can go off and, you know, get hot, but the Warriors just have another level that they can hit offensively. Um, the Kings – don't have that same star power per se, but that might even work out because they can score from so many different guys. You can have uh, Terrence Davis go off. You can have uh, Keegan Murray go off. You can have Kevin Herter or Monk or pretty much anyone. It's not just all Fox and Sabonis. Harrison Barnes could even do like 25 points. It's It can hit you from all different types of angles. I'm not expecting us to get like 130 to 130 type games. Like we were talking like um, – what some fans might be expecting. I, I do think that there is going to be some kind of the, the tempo isn't going to be as fast as they normally are. And because it's the playoffs and that I think both teams are going to kind of be locked in since they both run. It's not the same offense, but it's similar. A lot of dribble handoffs, lots of off ball movement. The bigs are the ones making a lot of the interior passes out to the cutters or to uh, spraying it out to shooters on the three point line. So they have a general idea of how their offense is going to work. So that helps out a little bit, but also there's nothing like the real thing. Like when Steph Curry comes off a pin down, you know, pump fakes and someone jumps at him, he gets hit in the air and he's just chucking it up one handed and still makes it like you can't. There, there's no. What there's can no you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What can you do? Career, <laughs> dude's changed the game, made a career doing just that. So I agree with you there. Um yeah, I think that's one. I think another one as well is, and I guess I'd ask you this, uh, how confident or, or, or not confident are you in DeMondis Sabonis' ability to hold up defensively um, against the Warriors? I feel like he's kind of a weak point in the, in this system defensively, whether he can be called on an island or put in no man's land, whether the Kings decide to play a deep drop, which I doubt they will do, but like could be a problem between Curry and Poole and them. But also if they you know bring him to the level of the screen, you know, I still think Curry can get around him. I also think the same for a Poole. Um, and Clay Thompson, I mean, maybe – I, I think that Sabonis could possibly stand in front of him, but he's a totally different weapon entirely, you know, coming off the screen. So uh, how do you look at Sabonis? I do feel he'll be targeted defensively, you know, several times by the Warriors relentlessly in their actions. And I want to get, get a sense of, of what are you thinking about, worried about, whatever the case may be, when it comes to Sabonis on the defensive side of the ball. So what I'm going to say may be controversial to some, but I'm going to kind of back it up a little bit with what I'm thinking. I think okay. Sabonis is an average defensive big. I don't think he's poor. I think he's average. 
The reason okay. I say that is because he has good perimeter movement. Um, I know that he, when he's hedging, he's solid. He can kind of keep people in front of him somewhat on the perimeter if his job is just to contain and then return back to his man. So when they're stretching him out on the three-point line, yeah, that's going to be a problem because um, if he's not up at the level, they're going to shoot over him because he doesn't have the length. And he also doesn't have the rim protection skills that other teams have. But one other thing that really helps out, and I consider this also part of defense, he's one of the best defensive rebounders in the game. Like He led the NBA in rebounds for a reason, or at least he was like top three, if I'm remembering correctly. So the best way to uh, finish a defense possession is getting the rebound. And if he's the best rebounder and Kevon Looney's one of the best offensive rebounders in the game, if they can kind of cancel each other out, that's kind of taken away from something that was a real strength for the Warriors. And now it's just kind of a neutral because um, it's a bonus can dominate the boards, um, that's going to be a big swing factor. And it kind of goes uh, the same way if Kevon Looney is able to kill the offensive boards because um, Sabonis had to rotate off to shooters or had to step up and had to play at the level when the shot goes up, that's going to hurt the Kings because our second biggest guy on the floor with our starters is typically Harrison Barnes, who is strong and is, you know, is willing to put a body on someone, but he's also not that great of a rebounder either. That's also yeah. That's something as well there for sure. I actually like your take about Sabonis being a decent, like a decent defender. I don't know if I completely agree, but I definitely understand the reason you give behind it. And yeah, I mean, I, something I think is something to consider for sure. Offensively, I mean, there's no worries with what you know he's going to bring to the table there. Um, and I, I'm very excited for um, Darren Fox as well. But uh-huh. yeah, just to kind of go back to that, like I'm not expecting them to play him in a deep drop, and I'm not expecting them to switch him onto an island and expect him to get stops. But I think Mike Brown knows what our team's weaknesses are, and he's going to put him in a position where he's not. He may get exposed because the Warriors tend to expose pretty much everyone. Either even if you're a good defender, the Warriors can make you look bad. I'm not saying that Sabonis is going to look great, but I don't think he's just going to be unplayable. Like for example, can't play Cantor type thing. Where it's just, I, was about, I was about to say it. I was yeah, about to say it. He's not going to be unplayable. I think he's going to be solid defensively, where he's not going to be the reason we. Okay, I can get that. That makes sense for sure. Um, looking at uh, the coaching matchup, Mike Brown, Steve Kerr, you know, coaching together for years in the Golden State, uh, coach, or Mike Brown coaching alongside Kerr for years as part of that Golden State coaching staff. I think it's kind of funny that both teams are not really great with transition defense, and historically it's kind of always, I mean, like, or not the transit. I'm sorry? Transition defense, Kings were one of the top in uh, fast stopping fast breaks this year so oh that i was excuse me oh my fault my fault i i was mistaken i meant to say both teams defensively have issues but for the warriors have not been good transition defense at least i'm sure about that and so for years both of them coaching together probably bemoaning that fact and now separately one team trying to capitalize on that while the other team is trying to prevent that that that's basically what I mean. i'm sorry you're right i misspoke but yes i appreciate that but no so look that's, at- <laughs> that, that's uh, one thing because you um people usually talk about how mike brown was the person who was in charge of golden state's defense mm-hmm. and it shows up very much that uh, mike brown's a detail-oriented coach when you look at what the kings are actually good at yes um sometimes they you know they're not the best defensively when it comes to the actual personnel but Mike Brown is known for taking that quick one minute, two minute coach pop type timeout where if someone gets back cut, you know, he's going to call a timeout immediately. Or if they're not doing what they need to be doing scheme wise, he's going to call a timeout immediately. So I think that helps with um, 
certain things you can't handle Golden State transition attack 100% of the time. That's just not possible because Steph Curry can pull up from 35 feet on the fast break just because he feels like him and he shimmies while the ball's in the air. But uh, the, Sacra- <laughs> the Sacramento Kings have found ways to kind of lock in on the details. And I think if anything's going to happen, they may get beat personnel-wise, but they're not going to get beat um, uh, discipline-wise. They're just they're going to stay disciplined. Mike, Mike Brown does not allow the – if. The t- Kings come out undisciplined. I can just imagine Mike Brown just walking out of the arena and just going, oh, I guess I guess this is it. <laughs> this is it, yep. Uh, great series. Good to play. You know, nice seeing you. We'll build on next year. No, I we'll see you next game, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who do you have as an X factor for either team? I, I know obviously we're doing Kings-specific, but I'm not going to limit you to just that if you have another, have another player in mind. But who for you is the X factor – um, in this series, and it could be as many as you are. I want to share. I just I'm curious about that. Um, I'll give you one for the Warriors, one for the Kings. I already mentioned Kavon Looney. I think he's going to be a big deciding factor on who's able to who's able to win the series. If the Warriors have to go small, like let's say for example they have to pull out Looney and they go Draymond at the five, I don't think Sabonis is going to completely mash him. I, Draymond's an All League defender for a reason. He has the, the history to back that up. But if they're able to keep Looney off the court, that limits their offensive rebounding, that limits their secondary attempts, that changes their split actions and things of that nature. So I think if he can consistently stay on the court because he's so good defensively as well, Looney saying is so good defensively as well, I think he's going to be huge when whether or not the Warriors can um, pretty much handle the boards as well as they need to. Um because Sabonis is going to play 40 minutes pretty much every game, no doubt, just because he's so good at running the Kings offense. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then my – I guess this was kind of a hot take. I don't know if other people think it's that hot. But I think Davion Mitchell is going to start at least a game in this series. I can totally see him kind of playing the F uh, Fred Van Vliet role in that he's just going to be on Steph Curry the entire time. Because we've seen FEV or Fred Van Vliet, we've seen – uh, Della Vadova, you get these really small guards that their their one job is just follow Steph Curry everywhere he goes. And I think uh, Davion is that one person on the Kings who we know is going to give 100% effort every defensive possession. He's going to, if his one job is to just follow Steph Curry every single way and don't let him breathe, I think Davion is the person to do it. I think also he's kind of been underrated offensively this year. Um, he's been taking a lot of three-pointers because that's pretty much what his role is on the offense. Uh, for example, to give you an idea, uh, percentage of his shots being three-pointers, um, he, he, the great majority of his shots were three-pointers. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, for example, for the year, he attempted 197 three-pointers, and he only shot 32% on those. So people are going to look at it and say, oh, that's not really that great. But uh, during Baylor's uh, title run when he was still in college, um, he was known for hitting step backs. He was known for getting to the rim. And he shoots uh, 70% at the rim, according to uh, basketball reference this year. And I think that's going to be pretty important is can he be an offensive threat while guarding Steph Curry on the other end? And I think so, because if the Warriors are willing to leave anyone open, whether it's um, Fox and Sabonis have the ball and, you know, they're helping off of anyone, they're probably going to help off Davion. And I think yeah. he has shown enough pretty much from March and April that his offensive game is improved. He's comfortable. And I think he's going to play a really big role in how the Kings are going to be successful in this series. 
There you go. I think the X Factor for me is Davion Mitchell and also um, uh, Gary Payton the second. Oh, yeah. I think both those guys play very similar roles as point of attack guys who can maybe potentially not cut off the head of the snake, but really make it difficult. But they're only going to be as effective as they are. They're only going to be as effective on the floor as they will be able to either mitigate or, or shine in their offensive opportunities. If they're both gaping liabilities, then, I mean, it's going to be working on each other. You know, you're saving the energy for their respective matchup to hide on them to then, you know, have that back and forth chess match on the other end. So I think it's going to be important for both those guys. You know, sure. we both know the shaky outside shooting Mitchell a little bit better than, than Payton, of course, but just being effective and not being a complete liability on the offensive end to then show their, you know, their value on the defense side of the floor. Perfectly said. I mean, the nice thing is about both offenses is that there's always constant player movement. And so even if, you know, that their defender may be resting, you know, they're still going to cut. They're still going to get handoffs or they're still going to be in the weak side so that they're making cuts when their defender leaves them. And so they always hopefully are going to be considered a threat, whether it's Gary Payton for Warrior fans or Davion for Kings fans. So it'll be interesting to see how you help, how you pick your poison when it comes to what you're willing to give up, who you're leaving open, because there's no like Andre Roberson or Tony Allen type defender who's just going to be completely left alone and the guy just kind of stands around or just only cuts back door when the when the help leaves. Exactly. Very true, very true. All right, well, I feel like we are getting to the point of prediction time, Eric. I think that we've kind of gone over the coaching matchup. You, you feel the X factors are broken down there. Um got a little bit of breakdown of both teams let, let's get to the nitty-gritty let, let, let's get your predictions on this matchup i i mean you know yeah, i'll let i'll let I, I, no, i'll go first because i think we'll leave with the guests in this case your opinion i think it's going to be a lot more um as it should be a little more impactful so i'm gonna go quick i have warriors and six i think that the experience is going to play a factor at the end of the day i think that there is something to be said for a team that's been there many times in terms of understanding the stage. I don't think Darian Fox is going to have a problem with it at all. Sabonis has experience playing in the playoffs with the Pacers. Um, Kevin Herter has experience playing in the playoffs with the Hawks. Harrison Barnes has experience, all but the Warriors, but he has experience as well. Um, but after that, a lot of guys are going to be playing some minutes that are not quite there. You know, I'm looking at Keegan Murray. How is he going to show up in this stage? You know what I mean? I think he'll be solid. He's a very good pros pro of a player. But that's one I have. And I think over time, little ebbs and flows, little things here and there um, for what is still relatively young team might show up that will give the Warriors the advantage. That and the fact that I don't think the Kings have a clear way of stopping Steph Curry. And we've seen him win series before. So this would just be another walk in the park in that respect. Um, but I, I would, I'm, I'm ready for entertaining series and... I don't. I, I don't put it past the, the Kings making it, making it frisky, making it tight. But anyway, that's enough about myself, sir. What is your prediction? Okay, before I give my prediction, uh, we talked earlier around the trade deadline that for the Kings over this season, I took the Kings over thirty-four and a half. I said yeah. I would use that money to get playoff tickets. I was expecting yes. playoff tickets to be two hundred dollars, not four hundred dollars. So oh, that dream kind of went out the window. But I have oh put my, my money where my mouth is, and I have flipped that money, and I went double or nothing on the Kings advancing. So I, I, I put down a hundred dollar bet on the Kings advancing for this round, um, and I think the Kings are going to take it in six. As we talked about earlier, the I think both teams are going to have multiple road wins, or at least or maybe not the Warriors having multiple road wins, but both teams are going to have at least one road win 
I think the Tings are able to have two road wins this year. I think they'll probably lose one at home and then they'll take two on the road. And so that's what I'm going with. Anyone who says this game's going less than six was not paying attention to the Kings at all this year because they're definitely going to put up a fight. They're, they find ways to win when they need to because they are one of the top clutch teams. De'Aaron Fox has been one of the top clutch players this year. So I, it's going to be a hard-fought series. It's going to be who makes the least amount of mistakes pretty much because the offenses are just so good. So I, I'm a big believer, Kings and six. I put my money where my mouth is, and hopefully I can use that money to maybe buy another playoff ticket. Another playoff ticket. Oh, exactly. boy. If we go in the oh. second round and these tickets are like $500 a piece, it's just it's not going to happen. Just I know. And that's what I'm saying. Don't price out the, the real Kings fans. You know? I mean, come on now. They weren't, it's not like Laker fans here, you know, coming to 500 600 That's not how it works out. You know, you have these tickets going really high because Light the Beam is really cool, and I get it. It's, it's, it's the fashionable trend right now. You know, like Suns and Four a couple years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Except these Kings fans, like, there's a real fan base here. Not, no disrespect to the Suns. I live in Arizona. I know long-suffering Suns fans. But it got to a hoopla all its own that wasn't for the fans. And they weren't the ones, you know, perpetuating the craziness that was then. Just they aren't now. You know, and so I do feel very strongly about giving those folks a chance, whether that is like, I know Jillian, um, Jillian Adge, I think I said that right. Yes. I've always messed up her last yeah, Jill Adge. Thank you. Exactly. I just always say Jillian, even when I'm talking on Twitter. So like, I know she would make a post. I think she was on the news or something about sharing like, hey, like Kings fans, like let's look out for them. The people who like support this team, you know, through Nick Sauskis and the Rajon Rondo years and just all, all the craziness there, like. Let them get a shot. And that, and I'm with you. Like, that's what I'm all for. Like, the long-suffering fans who really invested, like yourself, you came out when this wasn't even popular to say that back then. I thought you were a little crazy back then. I'm like, you know what? You get you backed it up a little bit. Like, I appreciate that. You had your numbers and stuff, but that, that's kind of rich. No, no, that wasn't even rich. You, you were the only one spot on. You and a couple other Kings fans I know that were like, boom. So, for the irony of that, and no, that, that, that really irritates me. I, yeah, if, if they make it out the second round, I'm going to share on Twitter. Like, we need to make it so that you get a chance to go because it's only right. Like, come on now. But, yeah, other than that, man, this has been, as always, fun. Um, love having you on. I'm glad we did this. I'm going to let you – yeah, let, come, you have the floor, my friend. I was just no, going to let you know that there were multiple Twitter posts about fans willing to go to Chase Center because tickets were cheaper or almost, like, half the price. Oh, so no. it would be cheaper for you to drive from Sacramento to Chase Center – eat and park, you know, park there, eat dinner there, go home, fill up your tank of gas, and still be cheaper than actually buying Kings tickets. Because, I mean, they, they, did right. standing, they did standing room only tickets for game one, and they went for $190, and they sold out in like five minutes. Like it's That just- is not right. That is wild. That is wild. I, I'm, I'm sure, listen, I want to make sure that you find yourself a nice spot to enjoy, get your snacks on, you know, friends, family, yourself, whatever makes you comfortable you know, turn that volume up. Let's feel that crowd pulsing. I know we're going to do it here. Like, like make it your experience for now. Let's hope we can get you in the next round, you know, some tickets there. But for this one, live it up, man. Enjoy it. First two games in Sacramento. I'm so happy for you, man. Listen, check out Eric. Thank you again for coming on, my friend. Like, seriously, we'll have to have you on if the Kings do make it. Even if they don't, I, I, we're going to do off-season preview, all that good stuff. But if they do, yeah, we got to preview the second round. So I hope I hope we get that. I hope I'm wrong in my prediction. I, I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I, <laughs> I appreciate you for having me on. It's always a lot of fun getting to talk with you either on yes. per, or in person or, you know, on on here or um, yes. on Twitter. And I hope people uh, continue to follow you and follow me. 
I appreciate that. Absolutely. And speaking of following Eric, make sure you do. The guy, again, knows his hoops. Good conversation on Twitter always. Not just Kings basketball, too. Like, just in general. I find him, you have some good insight on, on many of my basketball takes, and I'm crazy on there. Uh, so follow Eric on Twitter at EricBball3. That's E-R-I-K-B-B-A-L-L-3. Um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA if you are so inclined. Do appreciate it. Definitely make sure to check it out. Um, Sports Ethos as well. Again, this show and many others are available on their website, sportsethos.com, or on Twitter at sportsethos. So listen, we're going to have this drop it out. By the time you end listening to this, it should be a very good primer for the first round that will be coming up in a couple hours by the time you hear this. So definitely make sure to sit back, enjoy, go Kings, I will say at this time. Uh, for Eric, for myself, we are Frosty, y'all say Frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. Light the beam! Thank you.